sake. Hey there and welcome back to the FFS podcast. I'm your host Praddy and this is episode number 35. And today we're going to be talking about a club for whom I never thought I'd find a fan of. And that is none other than West Ham United. I know, right? You guys are so shocked. Like believe me, I'm shocked too. Like when I first started doing this podcast, I never imagined I'd ever find myself, you know, talking to a West Ham fan, having one on my podcast. But here we are nonetheless. And before we get to what we're going to be discussing for uh, or about today, I'll ask my guest to give a brief introduction of himself. So, Adoksh, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. Thank thanks Freddy and uh, I think <laughs> it's fair to say that most people are very surprised when they come across uh, me as well as the rest of us at the Indian Hammers which is the uh, official supporters club for West Ham in India. Uh we're a bunch of about 40 45 loyalists in India who've been supporting the club through thick and thin. Uh I'm sure for anyone who follows West Ham they or follows football they know there's very little glory and there's very little sunshine in the world of west ham so we've all aged a lot over the last 15 20 years some of us have been following it for much longer than that so yeah so it's great to be on your show it's great to um, connect and great to try and tell the world about the west ham support that's there in india great uh, so You've obviously mentioned the Indian Hammers uh, supporters group, uh, and which you said I think has forty to fifty people. And I mean that that sounds amazing. But we'll come back to that a little later. I just wanted to know personally, how did you come about supporting West Ham? Because if you think about it, uh, uh, living in India and all that, you, most of the coverage, or rather the norm, has been to support you know the top four teams or the top six teams in the Premier League, or you know the top two teams in la liga like barcelona and real madrid so i mean unless you've unless you know someone who is a west ham united fan like you know a parent or a best friend or you lived in that particular area or you've got a gun pointed at your head i mean there aren't many ways that you become a west ham supporter right like i may be wrong but I, and feel free to correct me but you know what is it about the hammers that got you to support them so it was the first live football game that i ever watched in my life um it was in london it was at upton park it was in the 90s and it was uh, west ham united versus uh, the old manchester city when we could still beat them and uh, <laughs> it was still an even footing so it was the first game and uh, i remember we had seats in uh, the chicken run which is uh, which is one of the stands in the old old upton park where you were so close to the players that you could literally if the ball went off the line you could feel their sweat on you that's how close it was and um, so i was there I was there with my family watching the game and uh, yeah so that that game just redefined what football means and then when i came back to india and uh, uh, everyone was picking a football club uh, i think when we were in our when i was in class 8 or class 9 everyone's picking a football club and everyone's picking united or chelsea or arsenal everyone's talking about uh, rooney or scholes or giggs or uh, thierry henry and i'm like hey 
do you know about Paulo Di Canio? And they're like, who? <laughs> and I'm like, this is the club I'm going to support. I'm going to support West Ham United. And uh, I just stick, stick to it because that was the first game I watched. Um, continued watching every game, continued uh, supporting them. And, uh, well, now I think it's too late to drop off and save myself. Yeah, I mean, like, forgive me for being repetitive, but, like, I still can't wrap my head around the fact that, I mean, someone would actually be, you know, choose to support West Ham. Because, like, you were mentioning when you were in grade 8 and 9 and all of that, and, like, it was around the same time when even I chose my club. uh, And... Yeah, like I said earlier, sometimes it's because of the environment that you're in, like friends who support the same club or like you mentioned, you know, the first match that you ever watched. So when I was like growing up or in school, it was all like, it was either Manchester United or Liverpool. Those were the two big teams that my friends were supporting. And it just so happened that, you know, the first match I watched live was Manchester United versus Liverpool, which was kind of lucky for me, I guess. I mean... Imagine how it would have turned out if it had been like Crystal Palace or like uh, whatever. I mean Newcastle or something like that. So uh, yeah, I mean it. It's it's kind of commendable in a way. What the fact that you stuck around supporting a team that hasn't really challenged for a lot of titles and trophies or shown that much ambition of late. And so I mean it, I I'm sure there are a lot of people who you know after a certain point of time would have thought like you know like. Let's just let me start supporting another club, maybe a top club, and West Ham can always be like my second team. Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of rare that I mean that we have in our midst someone who not only supports them as their first team but also kind of knows the intricacies of you know the club. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, I think you're right in saying that we haven't made a sustainable push towards any trophy or any champion. Uh, sorry, any cup uh, over the last, what, 25 years that I've watched West Ham play. I think we've made it to Europe uh, thrice in that time period. Uh, a couple of them were the preliminary rounds, which we didn't qualify through either. I think the last time we were in Europe and made any decent push was uh, in in early 2000s. Under Harry Redknapp, I think the 99-2000 season when uh, we finished fifth. But beyond that, if you take and that was 1999 and 2000, so we're talking 20 years now without the club having won a trophy, having forget a trophy. It's it's 39 years since the club won a trophy. The last trophy we won was the 1980 FA Cup where we beat Arsenal one nil. But you're talking 39 years without a trophy. You're talking multiple relegations. You're talking um, two of our owners going bankrupt. You're talking about uh, players forcing strikes to move to better clubs. Uh, you're talking about the god-awful management that we see sometimes from the owners who, fair enough, they're trying their best, but some of the decisions they take are just unbelievable. So it's painful. It's painful to support this club, but uh, West Ham till I die, I guess. <laughs> I could hear just that slight hint of remorse in that last word. But like I said, man, it, it's commendable that you've stuck around with West Ham for the long haul. Given also how the negativity surrounding the entire club over the past decade, 
you know whether it be managerial changes board problems or even you know fighting relegation battles which has probably been the biggest stories uh, in recent memory which is you know west ham always having to struggle to survive in the premier league rather than you know fight it in the top half of the table or even get one of those prestigious european spots right uh, yeah so i guess what this perfectly transitions into the topic that we're going to be discussing today and for you know people who are listening to this particular podcast episode uh, it's probably going to be mostly negativity that we're going to be talking about because like i said there's hardly any positivity but we will try and sprinkle as much as positivity as we can uh and so yeah let's get on to it and i guess we'll start off with what is or what was one of the biggest stories in west ham history that is the move from the bullion ground to the london stadium or upton park to the london stadium uh, so i just wanted to know you know how did that move come about uh, why did it come about and you know what were your thoughts when it was announced look i think when you when you look at the deal as a whole and when you go back say 7 years now go back to 2012 2013 when this deal first came to be i don't think anyone would have objected to it when the first presentations were made when the first idea was thought about sure everyone said how can we leave upton park but the idea of the olympic stadium that was pitched by the board to the fans and the supporters and um the season ticket holders was very different from what it's turned out to be the move to the olympic stadium was purely financial in nature they wanted the club to be a bigger club in terms of the number of fans who would uh, come to the games every day upton park was 32000 33000 uh the olympic stadium has a capacity of 68 when it's completely opened up for uh when when all the restrictions are removed right now i think we're at 61 so you're talking about 30000 extra tickets being sold for every game multiply that into um 38 home games sorry 19 home games a season plus five of five cup games and all the others so you're talking about a lot of money just coming in from ticket sales so the club wanted that the problem was and which no one took seriously until it was too late was the fact that the atmosphere that was built in Upton Park was primarily because of how close you were to the pitch uh you you move to the Olympic Stadium and you look at one game over there you realize it's not a purpose built football stadium at all it's it has a running track in between the distance between even the manager to the pit is so large that it's really difficult to build any sort of atmosphere over there and you're you're, you're talking about an athletic stadium talking about a stadium that was built for the olympics that was built, made to host olympic games you're not talking about a stadium that can host a club playing football week in week out so yeah that 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 was the mistake uh that the board made thinking that they could convert an athletic stadium into a football stadium the distance between the the pitch to the fans is way too large for you to build any sort of atmosphere and um, it's it's just it they, they failed on a lot of promises i can keep going on about the list of things that were promised about the olympic stadium and the move which haven't uh, haven't materialized at all listening to what 
you spoke about West Ham and what happened to West Ham. I mean, it's kind of similar. I wouldn't say exactly similar, but kind of similar to what happened at Arsenal when they moved from Highbury to the Emirates. But I guess, you know, the major difference being that you know, Emirates was built for football, whereas, you know, the London Stadium was built for other purposes and now has to accommodate the game of football. So I guess that was the biggest difference. That's 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 the problem, right? I don't think um, I don't think the grievance of the fans or any of us here is the fact that uh, we had to move from Upton Park. Uh, th- there were there were a hundred different ways the board could have done this. They they could have renovated Upton Park. They could have acquired more land around it. Uh, there's a lot of rumors about why the board did not. Uh, spend the money that they could have spent to acquire land around the original bullion ground to expand it like most clubs do. Everton's doing that to their stadium. No, I I think Everton's moving now to like the waterfront area. That's what I saw from the pictures and everything. I don't think it, they're renovating their I mean Goodison Park, the current Goodison Park. Uh, Liverpool's doing uh, this. Uh, or Liverpool was the one that was actually planning to, you know, expand their ground by, you know, acquiring land around it. Uh, I they already had one tier, but that that was a plan. And but I think because it was a residential area, or it is a residential area, that you know they had to get the consent from the people living around it, and that was being a little problematic. I don't know if it's the same with with Upton Park, if it was in a residential area or. No, it was. It was in a residential area. It was bang in the middle of a um, bang in the middle of Green Street, and it's it's difficult to. Uh, I mean, it, if you look at it, maybe there was difficulties in them um, acquiring the land, but the land was available. The land was available. That's come out uh, much later that there was an option uh, for the owners to procure land on three of the four sides of Upton Park. So a redesign was possible, but then when you look at when you look at it financially, when you redesign an entire stadium, you're looking at costs of between three hundred to five hundred million, something like the Spurs Stadium, which cost them a billion dollars, right? Or a billion pounds. As opposed to a move to the London Stadium, which we've got on lease for ninety nine years and we're paying two million a year. Now, we can live there for 800 years, 500 years, and we will just about pay the same amount as Spurs paid to build that stadium of theirs. So financially, I think that's what drove the board into uh, shifting from Upton Park to the London Stadium and not renovating Upton Park itself. But uh, they failed to take into consideration the fact that the London Stadium has a track in between. The London Stadium does not have seating close enough to the pitch. They fail to take into consideration the fact that they won't be in control of stewarding and policing of the stadium. They won't be in control of a um, large amount of, uh, say, interior decorating of the stadium, which you need to do to make it feel like your home. You can't make it seem like you're playing in a rented stadium. Uh, a lot of things were not taken into consideration and that's just left us where it is in a stadium that we've rented and uh, doesn't feel like home. And I don't think it ever will. The way you you described it, I mean, it, it seems like a pure business decision by Sullivan and Gold uh, to, you know, avoid renovating 
the current stadium and moving into a ground that has already been constructed and is ready you know to move and to play football in like i can imagine them sitting in like the boardroom and saying like let's not pump in x amount of money into renovating a new stadium with more facilities while you can also you can save that money and kind of move into a new stadium pay you know probably like you said less amount of money than you know spurs spent and all of that and you don't have even have to you know worry about getting consent from the people living around the residential areas and all of that to expand and acquire land so i guess i mean it seems like a pure business decision uh, that way and but also i mean it seems like a smart decision because like uh, if you look at arsenal and what spurs went uh, went through or are going through it's like when they built the new stadiums a lot of money had to be you know uh, reserved in order to pay the debt for constructing the stadium and that meant that few funds were actually kept for transfers whereas in west ham like you see because they moved to a new stadium that was already constructed there's a lot of money that was given by the board members towards towards transfers uh, yeah i mean they haven't spent their money wisely a lot of questionable transfers that have been made but the money was still there so uh, i guess i mean it's a smart decision yeah, no so uh, yeah, i i'll have to agree with that because um that goes back to what i was saying 2013 when this move was pitched to us um pitched to all of these supporters um there wasn't wide widespread protest sure everyone felt bad that we were moving from upton park um and everyone felt uh, there was the beginning of the end of a great stadium but uh, the the fans weren't particularly pissed because uh, the deal was so good it was so good that the mayor of london i think sadik khan launched an investigation into figuring out why his predecessor had made such a deal can you imagine paying 2 million a year to play in a stadium as big as the london stadium you are not in charge of stewarding you don't have to pay for security you don't have to pay uh, for uh, catering all you have to do is give them half the proceeds from ticket sales and 2 million a year that it, it, it's just a mind boggling deal it makes absolutely no sense as to how this deal came to us and which is why no one complained about it because uh you you were talking about in 2013 when we still have, hadn't seen how the stadium would look once it was configured for football you're talking about a 60000 capacity stadium um and you're talking about saving 500 600 million and a club like west ham can't afford to be in debt of 500 600 millions 1 billion like spurs and arsenal can be because spurs and arsenal whatever happens um the, the, their premier league football is always going to be guaranteed it's going to be a very 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 rare situation where you'd see spurs or arsenal uh truly in a relegation battle sure they may be in the bottom half of the table for some point of time at some point of the year but they will never at the end of the day be in a relegation battle or face relegation at all but west ham will and a club like west ham or any of the other 14 15 clubs outside of the uh top 6 uh cannot uh be having a debt of 600 million 700 million uh on their books particularly because if you get relegated and you fall down to the championship that's it your your club's going bust you're you're going down the road of bolt and you're going you're going into insolvency 
so that way it was a smart move i don't think there was ever going to be a doubt that financially this was this was a good way for the club to make money but uh, it does come at a cost you did lose out on home advantage um clubs used to be afraid to come to upton park uh sure we used to play bad football we'll continue to play bad football it's never going to be a beautiful game at west ham uh but uh, the atmosphere used to be intimidating and uh, the one thing that we had uh, was also taken away so it's going to take a lot for this stadium to feel like home and i uh, and until we outright buy out the stadium which uh, hopefully happens sooner than later i don't see things changing right uh, like you were kind of you've kind of half answered my next question already but which was i wanted to know so like i drawing like i drew comparisons earlier up with spurs and arsenal when they moved to a new stadium we saw especially with arsenal when they moved from highbury to the emirates they lost that and that you know atmosphere that was so unique to highbury when they moved to the emirates like emirates is a really world class stadium right it's got uh high end facilities state of the art uh you know pitch and seats and everything but you know when you go and watch a national match you kind of do miss the atmosphere that's there uh you don't find it too intimidating as an opposition or even as a neutral watching it uh and i guess that's the same thing or the same thing can be said about west ham that when they moved to the london stadium the only thing that i mean the main thing that they lost from upton park and which was so unique to upton park which was the hostile environment and atmosphere was completely lost but uh, yeah but getting to the question which is you know if west ham played more attractive style football uh, something that was entertaining something that the fans would have liked do you think that the hostile environment could have you know been replicated at the london stadium that you know you wouldn't have missed it it would have it, it would have kept a bunch of us quiet uh it would have given us less to complain about um i think i think it's simple if you win games no one really cares where you're playing at but uh, No 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 I'm not talking about you know fans not caring and all of that uh, I was kind of looking at it more from you know if West Ham started playing attractive football much better football started winning matches made you know the London stadium a real fortress or like you know Upton Park and all of that like then maybe you know the hostile atmosphere would have been transferred you wouldn't have missed Upton Park so much like you are right now I wouldn't agree. It's not like the Bullion Ground was a fortress. It's not like we won a lot of games at uh, Upton Park. We still played shit. We still lost. We it wasn't like we were doing anything different at Upton Park as compared to what we're doing right now at uh, the Olympic Stadium. Um, <laughs> and I don't think that will change even if you even if you move us to the best, you move us to the San Siro. I, I still assure you, we'll be playing shit football. but the thing was that fans felt involved in a game of football at uh, upton park fans felt like they could change the outcome at upton park and uh, uh, a couple of times and more more often than a couple of times they they did do that uh, they did have a role to play they felt like they were involved in the game and um, that will never happen at uh, the london stadium and that never can because you're literally a mile away from the your nearest player 
All right. So say that you know you've attributed ninety percent of West Ham's wins to the hostile atmosphere that was there at Upton Park. You know, like given the bad football or shit football that West Ham used to play or continues to play even now, that the reason they won some most of the uh, some of their games uh, at Upton Park was because of the hostile environment you know it created an intim- intimidating environment for the opposition and yeah you kind of got got under their skin over there and you know the move to london stadium meant that you lost that particular unique feature at upton park and does that mean or do you think that that's one of the reasons why the owners Sullivan and Gold have had to pump in so much money into transfers because you know they could rely on the crowd at Upton Park they you know earlier but now that that's lost that's the only thing that they had and that's also gone that now they had to find another way and that way was like spending insane amounts on you know mediocre players you know you might get your dimitri payas and you might get your felipe anderson but they really don't work out in the long haul and you know that's where we see west ham right now yeah i i agree and i think uh, i think billich uh, and uh, allardyce and pellegrini they've all acknowledged this they've all acknowledged the fact that uh, the onus was on the board to uh, bring the players that uh, that that were required to push west ham to the next level the entire move to the olympic stadium was uh, described as being the board's agenda of pushing west ham into the european scale they said they want to uh, have a club that not only records high attendance not only generates good profits but also a club that consistently fights for europe and uh, i think on that front you can't blame the board at all because uh, they've spent an immense amount of money over the last 3 uh, 4 years at least you're talking about just last summer you're talking about sebastian haller who's what 45 million you're talking about uh, pablo fornals who's 25 million you're talking about anderson who's 35 million you're talking about you're talking about uh, over 200 250 million spent over the last 3 years now and um, that's an insane amount of money for a club like west ham uh so you you can see that the board is spending the amount but uh the it it comes down to certain fundamental issues on how the club is run uh the scouting networks within the club are terrible um just a quick inquiry on uh, on on the premier league databases and uh, the reports that are available will show that the club literally has two senior scoutsmen that's it we have two and just to give just to give your listeners some sort of perspective a club like leicester have 14 senior scoutsmen around the world at any given point of time and each of those 14 have about 3 4 junior scoutsmen traveling the world as well so you're talking about 35 to 50 people in a club like leicester let's not even go to um uh, go into the actual top 6 the the big clubs as we call them uh and we, we have one we have one you we don't have a director of football we had it for a brief moment of time um uh, with pellegrini we had uh, mario hoslos who uh, pellegrini bought in along with him uh both of them i'd have to say failed 
on an epic proportion. Uh, they didn't know what to do with a club like West Ham. They have always been for a long period of time with clubs who uh, threw money at players and got them the players they wanted. Uh, they tried that approach here. It obviously didn't work because a mid-table team requires a different approach. And uh, the board can't be faulted for spending the amount, but the board has to be faulted on how the club is structured. You need to have the right appointees, not just at the manager level, but at the scouting level. You need to know who you're looking for. You need to have a director of football or the equivalent. And um, none of that is being done. The board interferes with a large amount of transfers on their own. Um, I think it was Allardyce who recently gave a press conference saying uh, uh, Gold or Sullivan, one of them came to the training session one day and said, I've got you a striker. And Allardyce was like, who is it? And he's like, uh, uh, here, here he is. This is the guy. He's coming in tomorrow. And Allardyce didn't even know about this guy. So you're talking about stuff like that where uh, where a man where the owner of the club decides to give a manager a striker who he's never heard of and uh, says play him so just just calls into question how the club is run and who's uh, actually in charge and why someone has so much power i really should ask you to like stop reading my mind because i was about to ask you another similar question i think you already previously answered one earlier and now you've kind of almost answered another question that I was about to ask and yeah you mentioned like you said you know the owners are not to blame for the amount of money they pump in but I was going to ask you you know aren't they responsible for the entire club structure the way it's set up especially you know with two senior scouts like you mentioned in at the heart of the transfers and so uh, yeah I mean like especially you know talking about David Gold and all I feel like David Gold is like uh, CEO slash part-time PR guy for West Ham. I mean, the number of tweets and, you know, the not number of tweets, but rather the tweets that he puts out uh, announcing player transfers and player arrivals and all of that. It feels like he does the media's job for you. Usually, you know, for Liverpool and all, we have like tier one journalists and all of that, uh, you know, people who you rely a lot on. And I feel like for West Ham, you just have to look at the tweets of David Gold and you kind of figure out who is coming and who is departing. It's sometimes it's sometimes it's a joke um, as to how much the owners talk about the club on Twitter, and uh, <laughs> I think off late he stopped that um, at least to an extent because uh, since Pellegrini came and left, at least some sort of professionalism has been introduced into the club. Uh, we now have uh, Moyes, who's on his second stint. Um, Again, not a big fan of David Moyes, but I think he'll do enough to uh, keep us up, if at all, this season continues. But I think he's doing an okay job with what he's got. And um, again, not a big fan of him being a long-term appointment, but I think the board had to bring in someone who who would keep the club up because when Pellegrini left, we were 18th on the table. And that's that's just no position for... um, this team to be in with the kind of players we have absolutely they, they just absolutely lost faith in Pellegrini and Pellegrini had no idea what to do in a relegation battle yeah I I can't remember if 
Pellegrini's ever been in that kind of situation. Surely not at Madrid. I don't think at Malaga as well. And definitely not at Manchester City. So, yeah. I, I And with David Moyes, I think... I mean, the reason they might have chosen David Moyes was... A, because he had a decent stint with you guys. Uh, I think, was it last year or something? Uh, as a caretaker manager. And B, I think because he has, you know, Premier League experience. Especially with a mid-table club. You know, like Everton. Uh, and, I mean, you could say Manchester United as well. But, uh, uh, yeah, I, I suppose that's the reason why they didn't go for an unknown. Uh, or, you know, manager from another league. Because he... I mean, you guys are fighting a relegation battle right now. Um, apart from that, I, you brought up two really good points, uh, and which will perfectly transition to our next topic. But talking about David Gold and how he's been so professional in his actions of late, and I mean, whether or not the Premier League will ever resume uh, its the, its current season, given what's happening right now, uh, that all leads to you know talking about another board member i'm guessing i I really don't know but karen brady she came out two weeks ago talking about you know uh that talking about why the premier league should be null and void uh given what's happening and uh yeah i I mean that's brought about a lot of backlash from a lot of set of fans and all of that and basically what i'm asking you is as a neutral who is karen brady and uh do we really give a fuck about what she's trying to say? Uh, <laughs> it's a it, it's actually a very interesting question on who Karen Brady is and why she's even at the club. Um, uh, I'm probably going to get into a lot of trouble if this ever comes out uh, online and the club actually hears it because it's supposed to be an official supporters club. But uh, I think it's fair enough to say that... Uh, uh, so officially, Karen Brady is the uh, executive vice chairman of West Ham. Uh, she's in charge of uh, uh, a lot of the internal operations of the club. Uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, we don't have a lot of insight as to what she particularly does at the club. Um, so we'll we'll stay out of that on what role she plays. Uh, but what she what we do know is that she has a column in the Sun newspaper, which she writes for every Sunday. And uh, that causes West Ham fans more pain than our football itself. Uh, <laughs> That's saying uh, something. Yeah. And uh, every week you hear her views on West Ham and the stadium and the club and the owners. And uh, now she's decided to venture out into the whole Premier League itself. And uh, I don't know who reads it. I don't know why she has a column that's dedicated uh, to her every 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 month. Uh, I'm sure she's doing a good job at the club because she's taking a million pounds a year from the club. Uh, but in terms of her role as an executive vice chairman, a lot of fans strongly believe that if she is going to continue in that position, she must give up her Sunday column because uh, she can't be in charge of one club uh, and continue to continue to voice her opinion about uh, a lot of things in a Sunday column. Things have to be... There, there, there are club secrets which need to be maintained. There are uh, protocols that need to be followed. And a lot of it comes loose when um, 
when you're talking about a Sunday column and a gossip column that is uh, written in the Sun. So, yeah, officially she is the executive vice chairman of uh, West Ham United. Um, I think she is uh, not in charge of the transfers, hopefully. Uh, but she was one of the key figures who helped uh, seal the uh, Olympic Stadium move. So she's uh, she's played a big role there in the club getting the deal that it has, and she continues uh, to be an inter in uh, like integral player for what the club does. But it's her columns that uh, cause most of the problems. Right. So I wasn't too far away when I said most of your board members are basically PR guys for your own club. Yeah, because I don't think they want to pay someone else to do that job. <laughs> yeah, that's very much possible. But I'd call into question really the guy who hired her, especially after finding out that she writes for the Sun. I mean, that's where my focus would be. I think she. I think she was with us before that, though. Thankfully, I think she was with us before she started writing for the Sun, at least. Yeah, okay. I, I, like you, I think you mentioned that she was involved in the London Stadium deal. And if she did, I mean, kudos to her because that was a really good business decision to make. Uh, and yeah, but like her comments about the Premier League being null and void was a surely controversial statement. I think not only did it receive backlash, you know, from a lot of the Premier League fans and all of that. But I think, I think some of the West Ham fans also weren't too happy about that. I, I mean, as a West Ham fan, I would actually be okay with that because I I understand where she's coming from. Given that you're in a relegation battle, and you know, if you do get relegated, then that's a huge drop off. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I just wanted to know what your thoughts were on that comment and why she received so much a backlash. Uh. I think there's uh, there's two ways to look at it. I think uh, as solely as a West Ham fan, uh, I I take what Karen Brady is saying. Um, I don't mind if the season is voided. I don't mind if we go back uh, and cancel this season as ever having existed, and uh, we just restart uh, from the 2020-2021 season. I'm perfectly okay with that. And uh, why wouldn't I be? We're, we're 16th on the table. We're we're just outside of the relegation zone on goal difference. Um, Aston Villa is in the relegation zone, but they've played a game less. And to win that game, then we drop back down. Um, we have a game against United left. Uh, we have nine games left, of which six are at home. But sure, it's not as easy a run as uh, most people think because uh, the games that we do have left are all against... Uh, except for the United game, most of the games are against uh, teams that are around us. So if things don't go as to plan, you will see West Ham drop back to the relegation zone and get relegated. So I'm more than happy with what Karen Brady said in terms of voiding the season because quite honestly, um, I don't care who, who, wins, the, who wins the league. If, if it's not us, it's, uh, I don't care if it's Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, Leicester, Everton, I don't care. And... Uh, if it means retaining Premier League status for another year where we can restart the season, start afresh, forget this whole Pellegrini drama that happened where we thought he'd make us into uh, a European club, uh, just restart with Moyes or whoever we get and 
just have a peaceful mid-table season, I'd take it. The problem is that Ken Brady's comments received uh, widespread abuse from two different uh two different extreme quarters, right? You have on the one side you have uh three quarters actually. One you have the Liverpool supporters who uh, who are uh, who, who would feel that they are going to be wrongfully deprived of their first title in more than thirty years. So that that's good. That, I mean, and, and I can feel for them because they clearly deserve to win this league. They they are the outright champions. Sure, mathematically they haven't won it, but I can understand why they would be angry at what Karen Brady said. The second quarter, which would be extremely furious at what Karen Brady said, is uh, the teams that are around the third, fourth, and fifth position, or fifth, sixth, and uh, fourth position. Uh, who qualifies for the Champions League? Who qualifies for Europa? Uh, how are we saying? Uh, how are we saying that uh, we're going to avoid the season when I could have qualified for Europa? Teams like uh, Sheffield United, who have a very good chance at European football, uh, are going to feel extremely, uh, extremely uh, hurt if this, if if financially as well as emotionally, that. If if the season is voided, so you have fans from that quarter as well, and the third set of uh, uh, third set of uh, the third sector from which the abuse flows in is from the relegation zone. Now you're talking about a club like Aston Villa, which has played a game less, which if it wins that game is going to be out of the relegation zone. You have clubs which have a large number of games, which are home games, uh, clubs which have finish the tough fixtures and have relatively easier fixtures and you tell them, sorry, everyone in 18, 19, 20 is going to be relegated uh, as it stands today. Now, that's that's obviously um, unfair to them as well. So, purely as a West Ham fan, of course, I, I'd, I'd take what Karen Brady is saying and uh, she's probably saying it from... Uh, uh, her personal opinion on uh, what's good for the club. And uh, and I'm sure she understands why she's receiving the widespread uh, abuse about it because uh, there's just too many sectors that would be affected by it. And West Ham's just, I mean, it's it's good for West Ham, but it's probably not good for a lot of other teams around them. Do you think that another section of football society that's probably probably angered by her comments is the Premier League or FA, um, you know, because this is such a highly sensitive and delicate matter that everyone's dealing with. And Karen Brady being such a high-ranking official, you know, like vice chairman or whatever, second to Sullivan and Gold, that maybe it wasn't wise for her to be so vocal about her thoughts and uh, especially, you know, putting it out in a column and especially, and uh, in particular, the Sun newspaper, you know, which has already garnered so much hatred amongst the fans and everyone. So, do you think that that's another section of society where, you know, that would have been angered by her comments? It is, but um, I, I don't think she should uh, she should stay quiet about it because uh, I think it was a. Uh, well orchestrated move to make it very clear as to what West Ham's position will be. Um, 
the more a club stays quiet right now, the more you are uh, leaving it to the hands of the bigger clubs or uh, the Premier League and the FA to take a call which may not necessarily be good for you. Uh, so it's 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 well orchestrated in the sense of look, we are making our position clear. We don't want we don't want a situation where uh, tomorrow the big clubs make a deal with the FA where say whatever decision they come to and say it's not beneficial to West Ham, um, they probably want West Ham's position to be clear out there in the open just so that the fans also know that um, this is the club's position. Uh, and maybe it's not. Maybe it's not the club's position. Maybe it's solely hers. But uh, I believe it was an orchestrated move just to put it out there so that uh, the Premier League and the big six uh, don't try to do a move on the sly. Yeah, I mean, until we get like a statement out from West Ham, we I don't think we really know whether it's only Karen Brady's stance on this matter or if it is, you know, David Goldland, David Sullivan and the entire board and the entire club's stance on this. So, yeah, I think right now we're in murky waters with that. But um, I just want to draw your attention to uh, the recent comments made in her column uh, and talking about how the continued delays in the Premier League are probably uh, causing a financial strain. On the club, and yeah, uh, I think the FA. I mean, the Premier League has also released a statement saying that the 2019-2020 season has been delayed indefinitely, and which is good. But uh, I don't, I don't see how they're ever going to do that. I really don't. I mean, it's 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 uh, sure it's a difficult time. It's it's unfortunate what's happening. Um, but sooner rather than later, they will need to take a call on uh, on on how long they can wait for this season. Uh, so I think the Belgian league has already cancelled their season. Uh, they they they've become the first league in Europe to uh, cancel the entire season. But there, uh, from what I understand and what I was told, the league leaders have mathematically won the league. Uh, but uh, that's not the case here. But eventually, and sooner rather than later, the FA and the Premier League will need to take a call. And realistically, I don't see how this season's ever going to start again. Uh, with respect to the Belgian League, there are like 16 clubs, I think. And um, I think they've played 29 matches. I think there's like a game or something left. So, you know, it, it's easier to shut down that league. Uh, I don't know if they've done it yet, but it's easier there. I think when it comes to the Premier League, there's so much of money at stake uh, and everyone's hesitant to do that because there's so much of money that could be lost. You know, players, uh, I mean, a lot of clubs that w- would do well with that kind of money. And uh, yeah, I think even UEFA is hesitant to do, to do that. Uh, but I, I mean, talking about all these delays, Karen Brady's recent comments also have spoken about how this whole financial strain is on West Ham, uh, talking about, you know, the non-staff, uh, non-playing staff wages, uh, how to go about that, even players taking wage cuts, all of that. Is, it's, it's a hectic situation to be in. And that's why I think she wants it to be completely null and void. Um, yeah, but, but talking about this, I mean, if the season were to be completely null and void, 
with immediate effect uh, there's a lot of money involved and a lot of money that could have, that could be lost so do you think that west ham could you know be not benefit from could also be harmed in this way if the season's been completely null and void because there's a lot that could have been used in the next season when it comes to transfers and all of that that's going to be lost so i mean what's your take on that i don't think any of that comes close to the amount of money we'd lose if we drop to the championship so i think again from purely a west ham perspective uh, the best thing for the club would be for this season to be called null and void because when you drop to the championship you're you're, you're literally talking about 40% of the tv revenues that you earn in the premier league you're uh, you obviously all your big players are going to leave because it's no longer sustainable for them to be paid at the championship level so financially even if we forego the amount uh, of ticket sales and revenue that we would have generated from these balanced nine games um it won't come close to what it would cost us if we drop down sure for for the clubs that are safe it's just money loss because they don't have uh they don't have the flip side of facing a relegation battle so if you're in if you're in say 10th 11th 12th or 9th where you're safe then one way or the other doesn't make too much of a difference for you in life because you're not even competing for europe nor are you facing relegation so you're just losing your match day revenue from nine games but for a club like west ham which is going to face a relegation battle if the season resumes uh i think i think we'd we'd take another season in the premier league than uh, than worrying about nine games of revenue and giving money back to sky or whoever bt sports or whoever the television rights guys are i think it will still be financially more lucrative to stay up and i think that's where candidate is coming from as well right fair enough i mean i want i just wanted to ask that question and you've answered it fairly uh so yeah i guess it makes sense given that uh, dropping off to the championship is a whole lot worse than surviving in the premier league and probably losing out on some amount of money and but it varies from club to club like you said i think if you're not facing relegation then you're in a better position and maybe you you're looking for that extra uh, pumped in money or the extra money that revenue that you owe that you are that you are owed rather uh when it comes to you know start when the season could be started they said indefinitely but uh, you never know i don't i think that it it's harder for them to completely null and void the season than it is to delay it indefinitely because i think the majority of them would want it to continue and want to have a proper finish to it um i guess you know the relegation teams are the ones that don't want it to be done and even the same with championship teams i think like leeds and all would want it to be done but i think for west ham you know again bringing it back to relegation i think if they were to be relegated we've seen a lot of teams you know go down into the into the championship and never come back the next year and that's sometimes due to poor management and all of that and west ham could easily find themselves one of those clubs like we thought sunderland would come back we thought stoke city would come back but we see them languishing in championship which is a tougher league than the premier league so we really don't know about that uh but with the premier league i mean ufa's move ufa moving the euro to 
2021 has helped you know delay this for a further period i think that that's always good because uefa and the premier league and all of these are on the same page and when it comes to the players i think they're doing their training sessions solo training sessions they're they have you know group yoga uh, sessions uh, that they do and even in the Bundesliga I think now Dortmund are training you know uh, with pairs so there is signs of improvement the signs of it coming back to normalcy uh, but yeah it's certainly going to be interesting yeah it will and I think ultimately it will be dictated by the television rights guys it, Sky Sports and BT will dictate when the season resumes because ultimately no one wants to pay out. I, uh, boy, I think it's seven fifty million that's at stake right now. If the season uh, is declared null and void, so I don't think so. Karen Brady can say what she wants, and I can hope for what I want. But realistically, I don't, I don't see see it happening. I think the season will resume. I don't know when, but I think the season will at some point restart. Yeah, like I said, I mean, it helps that UFR is also on the same page that they have asserted that the leagues must end. I think, yeah, in the end, it all comes down to money. But um, I'm glad that everyone's on the same page because we all know, you know, it, there's no one league closing and the other league not. So, yeah, it's definitely interesting times. Um, so yeah, I guess that's all the time we have for West Ham and in this particular episode. Uh, thanks Adoksh for being a part of this podcast. Uh, it was a pleasure having you on here and giving your thoughts. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having uh, a West Ham fan on this. It's really, really good to have podcasts like this, which you know go outside of um, the top six. So the regular clubs right it's really good that you're doing this well the entire idea of this podcast was to you know get opinions and thoughts of people who you know wake up at 5 a.m and 2 a.m to watch their favorite teams play you know us foreign football fans uh because normally you see a lot of these you know fan tv channels that have guess on they're basically people who go to the stadiums more often than not and watch it watch them and so uh yeah it's it's also i mean there's also that trend that's going on right now that you're not a fan unless you go and watch it in the stadium that if you're watching football at home uh, on a screen then you're really not a fan and this is basically a gentle reminder to them to say that hey uh we actually are we are here um yeah, and we've probably got better thoughts than you are, man. Seriously, some of these guys, the their thoughts are quite perplexing at times. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm glad that I, I could get you onto the podcast, um, and hopefully, I mean, we could have some more topics on West Ham in the near future to talk about. Yeah, yeah, I know. I think that's why you wanted to do this as well, just to make sure that it's real and there is actually a West Ham fan alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the same thing with us, ba- the sporty 45 of us in India. So we're real. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I found the same thing even like with Bayern fans. I didn't think that there was a huge Bayern fan base in India, but there is. And so, yeah, I mean, like, like I said, this podcast has helped me, you know, track down and find out that, you know, there's more to. For, uh, football fan bases than you know the top six and the top two in la liga and all of that so yeah it's 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 actually yeah, so in in this whole 
West Ham universe. I've also come across Watford India supporters and Sheffield United India supporters and a lot of Bolton India supporters. So there's a lot of supporter clubs out there in India outside of the outside of the main guys. Yeah, I I'm guessing there is. Uh, but yeah, I guess that's it for episode 35. Uh, so don't forget to you know leave a like. You can rate us. You can follow us on seven different podcast platforms, uh, and even on Twitter, you can follow us there as well. And uh, yeah, I guess that's all there is for West Ham. Thanks, Adoksh, once again, and thank you for listening all the way. If you've listened all the way from episode one, or if you just joined us, thank you. And yeah, I guess that's it. Uh, I'm your host, Praddy, once again, and see you.